next lead pastor role, one thing that kept coming up over and over was expository preaching. A guy who's committed to God's word unapologetically, who will preach through and reveal what God has given us in his word and just present that uh, consistently and, and correctly. So that actually weeded out kind of a lot of, a lot of applicants, surprisingly enough. Uh, but the, the, the list got narrower and narrower. And, and one guy that just kept coming up, this guy from Portland, Scott Gassaway, we listened to a lot of his sermons, listened to lots of other sermons as well. But his name kept coming up, kept rising to the top. And it became very evident after meeting he and Freedom a few weeks ago and having some Skype interviews with them, it became very evident that this was the guy, this was the direction that, that God was, was leading us. And there's a unanimous agreement between the search committee and the, and the elder board. So we have invited Scott and Freedom here to candidate this weekend. He is our, our candidate for you guys. Uh, thank you, by the way, everyone who has been so hospitable to them already, the time that they were here a few weeks ago and then, and then now as well. If you've hopefully you've got a chance to meet them, but if you haven't, I'm going to put a, a plug in for another event that's happening this evening out at Brent and Tanya Croker's. We're going to have a potluck get together. It's kind of geared towards ministry team leaders and life group leaders, but it's definitely not exclusive. So if you want to come be a part of that, please come. We'd love to have you, especially if you haven't got a chance to hang out with the Gasaways yet. So they're here, Scott, Freedom, and their daughter Abby, their youngest. Uh, Ellie and Corbin are back in Portland holding down the fort, but they brought their their youngest with them. Uh, so again, uh, thanks for coming, guys. We are excited. We are very excited to hear what God's laid on your heart for us. And don't, don't forget, next next week we're voting on this. So uh, without further ado, Scott, come on up. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> oh. Wow. Well, uh, I am excited to be here. Uh, really humbled uh, to be here as well. It's just been an encouraging time uh, being able to, to worship with you this morning. As I, I've already uh, felt in, encouraged and, and blessed as uh, just hearing your voices, being able to lift my voice up with you and just reading the, the word aloud together and just committing ourselves to that truth. It's just been a, just encouragement uh, to me. And, and I just look forward to, to seeing how God wants to, to bless us through our, our time and his word this morning. Um, this is just uh, our family's uh, second time in Oklahoma, and we have just been so grateful for the hospitality we have experienced here. Uh, we got word uh, on Thursday uh, that our house sold, uh, uh, actually Friday, Friday we got word our house sold in, in Beaverton, so please vote for us or I'm going to be homeless. Uh, <laughs> But with that, uh, let's, uh, let's seek God uh, uh, for him to, to reveal himself to us. Uh, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we, as we read from your word, we just want to reinforce that as this prayer. Open our eyes. Reveal wonderful things from your word that this, this story would be uh, fresh in our hearts this morning, not, not because of, of new information, but because of a new encounter with you as you've revealed in yourself and your word. We ask that, that your spirit would move. Spirit, move through my words. Spirit, move in the hearts of your people here this morning 
And may this be a a, a true time of, of worship as your light breaks into dark places in our hearts, cold places in our hearts, as it softens those places that need to be softened and breaks those things that need to be broken. And, and, and may you be the one who's honored. And may we receive a, a true blessing and a gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I expect that you've brought your Bibles with you this morning, and I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to look at verses 13 through 35 this morning. And uh, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, encounters with Jesus uh, in the Gospels. It's It's a passage that just completely revolutionized the way that I study the Bible, the way that I encounter God's Word, especially the Old Testament. And I look forward to seeing what God wants to do just in the life of the church this morning as we're in this text together. So Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? 
while he opened to us the scriptures. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Peter Jackson subtitled the uh, first installment in the Hobbit movie, An Unexpected Journey. That's really a good subtitle for this uh, section as well. As these disciples are on this trek from Jerusalem to this little town of Emmaus, it's about seven miles that became for them an unexpected journey. But this is also really a good subtitle for our own lives as well. Because so many of us have been at times in our lives that were unexpected. There are times in your life you're going, this is not the way I thought the story was going to go. A year ago, I had never heard of Enid, Oklahoma. I had no idea that this is the way that this story was going to go. But, but, you know, a, a lot of those instances are times where it's hard. You, you, you get confronted with a trial. You get an event that slaps you upside the head, and you're like, wait, this isn't how I thought the story was supposed to go. This isn't the way the story is supposed to go, is it? And, and it's those times in your life that unbelief threatens to, to creep in. Those times in your life where you say, this isn't the way the story is supposed to go, and there's this temptation to, to stop believing. And, and, you know, for many people, it's not a full-on assault to stop believing in God. The, the unbelief, uh, especially among Christians, is, is far more insidious. It, it's the, the kind of unbelief that, that, that threatens all of us. Because it's a kind of unbelief that still says, I believe in Jesus, but. I believe in Jesus, but I, I, I just need something else too. I believe in Jesus, but, but I, I just need this to help me get through today. I believe in Jesus, but, but right now, I just got to stick up for myself. That's the kind of unbelief that, that is like that, that arctic blast uh, in a drafty house in January. I mean, I, I know it's summertime, and I know it's like it's sweltering hot, and you're like, we just want a cool breeze. But, but you know, there's that, that time in winter where there's just that cold that it can just get into your bones, and it just sucks the life out of you. And, and you've got to have a sturdy furnace that's able to just keep the cold at bay. What is it that's going to fuel the furnace of your faith? What is it that's going to fuel the furnace of your faith so when the, 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 that blast of, of unbelief is, is coming from the north that, that you're able to stand? And this morning, Jesus has an answer for us. Jesus has an answer as he comes alongside these two disciples on this unexpected journey. And the answer that Jesus has for them is the answer that he has for us. It's the answer that, that will really fuel the fire of your faith to ward off unbelief. And so I want to look at this story this morning in three sections. The, the struggle of unbelief, the solution to unbelief, and finally the shattering of unbelief. And, and as we take this journey with Jesus, 
exploring what it takes to to ward off unbelief, we're going to see that Jesus does it by reversing the story. And we're going to encounter three different reversals along the way. And so let's look at this together. The first one is the struggle of unbelief. And we see that in verses 13 through 24. See, this is the day of Jesus' resurrection. And, and this is, the way that Luke is telling the story to us is that, that people haven't actually seen Jesus yet. That, that there's all these reports that are going on that, that the, the tomb is empty, but, but people haven't seen Jesus. There's strange things that are, that are going on, but, but nobody has actually encountered him yet, at least the way that Luke is telling the story. And so as, as we watch these disciples take this, this walk, Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem, that we can kind of enter into the story with them in a way that, that we actually share a lot in common with these two disciples. They've heard stories about Jesus, but they haven't actually seen him. And that's, that's just like us. You see, we've, we've heard the stories. We, we've heard the reports that Jesus is alive. We've heard people tell about Jesus, but we haven't seen him yet. And so this is a, a story that, that we can get into because we're in the same boat as, as these two disciples are. We're on the same road as them. And, and for them, they're at a time in their life where like, the, the, the story isn't going right. The story's not going the way we thought it was going to go. And, and so they're, they're walking down the road. They've, the things that have been happening in their lives are not matching up with what they thought was supposed to happen. And then there's this stranger that, that comes up and starts walking along with them. And, and this is actually kind of the first reversal that we see in this story because we know it's Jesus. I mean, the text tells us it's Jesus. If, if you look there with me in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. So, so we're kind of on the outside. We know what's happening. We know Jesus is there, but they don't know Jesus is there. So there's this little reversal going on that, that here is the main character who takes the place of the anonymous bystander. So the, the, the main character of the story is, is starting off out on the side and nobody knows who he is. Now, Jesus is recognizable. He's, he's human. He's, he has nail scars in his hands and his feet. It's still Jesus. But something's going on here. If you look with me in, in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why is it that these disciples don't recognize Jesus? It's because God is doing a work here. He, he's, he's keeping them from recognizing Jesus. This really shouldn't surprise us too much because if you read stories in the Old Testament, you see over and over again God shows up and, and at first people don't really recognize that, that it's God. God speaks and people don't really recognize that it's God speaking. Isaiah himself said in Isaiah 45 verse 15, Truly you are a God who hides himself. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? It, is Jesus just kind of playing a prank? Like this is kind of like a first century kind of punked, you know, hidden camera show. No, Jesus has a purpose. Jesus has a purpose in doing what he's doing because Jesus knows these disciples are struggling with unbelief and he wants to help them. He wants to save them from their unbelief and so he has a purpose for cloaking himself. And, and really, you know, this is where 
Jesus now enters into the conversation. If you look with me at, at verse 17, it says, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. These two disciples, they're not just engaged in some kind of discussion of politics. They're not just swapping celebrity gossip. This is, this is something that's hit a nerve for them. It's, it's one thing to talk about crisis that's happening in other people's lives, and it's something else when the crisis is happening to you. This is something that has touched these disciples very personally. And, and so Jesus comes up alongside them and says, hey, hey, what, what's going on? And, and the, the disciple named Cleopas, he just snaps back. It's like, what, are, are you clueless? Like, everybody knows what's going on. You're like the only guy that doesn't know what's going on. And, and Jesus just kind of lets himself just kind of play along. He goes, oh, yeah, so really tell me, what, what's going on? And then Cleopas starts to tell the events that have happened. But notice when Cleopas starts telling what's happened, he's not just repeating facts. Look with me as he says this in verse 19. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice that, that, that Cleopas isn't just rehearsing facts. He, he knows there's something special about Jesus. He recognizes Jesus was a prophet. He recognizes that, that God's favor was on Jesus because he was powerful in, in what he preached. He was powerful in what he did. He, he recognized there's something special about Jesus. Jesus is God's man. And he even had placed his hopes on Jesus. We had hoped Jesus would redeem Israel. So why is he so upset? You see, he even goes on to say that uh, in verse 23, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. They've heard a report that Jesus is alive, but they're sad. See, the empty tomb isn't bringing them hope. The empty tomb is bringing them confusion. So they know who Jesus is. They know that he's spoke, they had hoped he'd be a savior. They know the tomb is empty. And still, they're, they're hopeless. What's happened? See, this, is, this is the struggle uh, of their unbelief. They, they know so many facts, and yet they, they haven't encountered Jesus. And so unbelief is, is right there, and it's, it's gnawing away at them. It, the ice is just creeping up their veins. And Jesus is here to give them a solution to their unbelief. The solution to unbelief. We see that in verses 25 through 27. You know, this is the moment where we would just expect that, that Jesus would just reveal himself. Like, you guys are sad, but you don't have to be. It's okay, because look, it's me. You know, just see, you know, my, my, my beard and, and look, the, the, the nail prints in my hands and, and my feet. Stop doubting. Believe. Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't Jesus do that? See, that would have just made everything easier. Easier for them. But what about us? 
We don't get to, to counter our unbelief by, by seeing Jesus today. We're, we're still hoping for Jesus to come. And so Jesus does something different. Jesus does something different for them that is not only a help to them, it really is a help to us. We should be really glad that Jesus does what he does, that Jesus just doesn't throw back the curtain. Because what does Jesus do? He takes them to the scriptures. Verse, uh, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice what Jesus is saying here. You guys missed it. You guys thought you knew your Bibles, but you didn't really know your Bibles. You know all of these things, but you, don't, you didn't read your Bibles rightly. Now, this is what so easily happens to us. That, that these disciples, they'd been reading their Bibles as if the story was about Israel. As if it was all about them. And that's, that's the thing that, that, can easily, that we can easily do. That we go to our Bibles and we open them up and we think, what's in it for me? And, and you notice that, that, that these disciples, they, they, they thought the story was about them. And because they thought the story was about them, then they, they, when it didn't go the way they thought it should go, then they're, they're thrown off. They, they have this, this struggle with unbelief. And yet Jesus is saying, your problem is you haven't been reading your Bibles rightly. And this is something that, that Jesus would actually uh, talk to the religious leaders about. In John 5, verses 39 and 40, he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, this is so important, Jesus is saying, you're, you, you know your Bibles. You have like all the Awana jewels in your crowns, and you missed something. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, until you understand the Bible rightly, then you are not going to be able to fight off unbelief in your life. You can know a lot of Bible verses, you can read your Bible, but until you really understand what the Bible is about, unbelief is always going to be a threat in your life. And so what is Jesus' solution to unbelief? Verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know what the solution to unbelief is? It's seeing Jesus in the Bible. It's seeing that all of the scriptures point to Jesus. If we think that God has given us the Bible for us, then we're going to miss that the Bible is really about Jesus. And when we understand that it's all about Jesus, then we're understanding Scripture rightly. You haven't understood any passage of Scripture rightly until you find, how does this Scripture point me to Jesus? How is this Scripture revealed to me something about Jesus? What Jesus came to do? The work that Jesus accomplished my need for Jesus. How does this passage of Scripture get me to Jesus? And Jesus is saying, this is what you need. 
Had Jesus come to redeem Israel? Oh, yes. But because these disciples thought that the story was about them, they missed the redemption Jesus actually accomplished. If you will go to the Bible and you will say, where do I find Jesus in this text? Jesus will rescue you in a far better way than you ever expected. See, this is, this is the solution to unbelief. The solution to unbelief is being able to come to Scripture and find Jesus. But there's something else. You see, if, if we ended it right here, I would be like sending you out and saying, okay, go, it's, it's on you. It's on you to go out and read your Bible and make sure you find Jesus. You've got to do that, but that's not enough. Because there's one more part to the story, and this is where things really get good. It's finally... It's the shattering of unbelief. The shattering of unbelief, and this happens in verses 28 through 35. You see, these men didn't need more information. Jesus had told them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe. He didn't say that that you didn't know. He said you didn't believe. Jesus wants to shatter their unbelief. And so he does it in, in another reversal. So the first reversal is that that Jesus comes up and he's the anonymous, he's the main character, but he becomes an anonymous stranger. And then the second reversal, we see that this stranger becomes the teacher. And then this third reversal that, that we encounter is Jesus is the guest, but he becomes the host. Look with me here. As they get into town, they convince Jesus to stay with them. And then verse 30, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. You see what's happening here? Jesus is is coming in as their guest. When somebody comes as a guest into your home, you have them sit down. You go get dinner. You you set it before them. And then then you you pray for the meal. Unless the pastor's over, then you ask the pastor to pray. But otherwise, you you pray for the food. But what happens here when, when Jesus comes... He's the guest, and and now he serves them. He sets the food before them. He prays, and and he blesses the food for them. And what happens in this moment when Jesus becomes the host, their eyes are opened. Look with me. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Jesus now shatters their unbelief by saying, you under, once you understand that the Bible is about me, once you understand that everything from Genesis to Malachi is pointing to me, everything from Matthew to Revelation pointing to me, when you understand that it's all about me, then you're ready for me to shatter your unbelief. You're ready to encounter me. And so then Jesus vanishes from their sight. It's like once you understand it's all about Jesus, and once you understand he really is alive— He doesn't have to be right in front of you because you've encountered him. And now these disciples, they they don't question, okay, Jesus disappeared. Maybe this was was all a dream. Or or maybe maybe this, you know, we got some bad mushrooms somewhere. Uh, No, they're more convinced than ever. Because what happens? They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. What was it that set their hearts on fire? What was it that that did the work inside of them? It, It was 
Jesus pointing to themselves in his word, and then they couldn't keep it to themselves. Forget the fact that it's night. Forget the fact that it's, okay, it's going to be like a two-hour walk in the dark back to Jerusalem. There's no streetlights. They're going to stumble along the way. Who cares? We've encountered Jesus. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and and they go back, and, and they find the other disciples. And once they get there, they find out, we're not alone. Look, we're part of a community of people who've seen Jesus. Because before they even get the words out, they're being told, yay, Jesus is alive. Simon has seen him. And they find out that, you know what? We're not alone. We're part of a community of people who has encountered Jesus. And as these disciples say, you know what? We we recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Throughout the book of Acts and the early church, the church recognized over and over again that, that it was in breaking bread together. It was in the celebration of the Lord's Supper that they reminded each other, this is the way the story is supposed to go. How, does, how did God save us? How did God set the story right? How did God tell the story the way it was supposed to go? He did it by the sacrifice of his son. He did it by his son being broken on a cross and redeeming us, not by getting us out of our situation, but by getting us out from under the condemnation of our sin. That, that in, the, in the cup, The blood, it reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed, that all of our sins would be forgiven. That the story goes this way, that we are free forever because Jesus was condemned on the cross. We are forgiven because Jesus poured out his blood. This is the way the story is supposed to go. This is the Jesus who shatters our unbelief. And you know, there may be someone here today. You've heard the stories about Jesus, but you've never encountered him. He's never revealed himself to you. You don't know him as God's true and chosen king. Oh, I I would invite you this morning, I would urge you this morning to seek Jesus. He, He wants to reveal himself to you. Those of you who who are here, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We're we're fellow brothers and sisters. You know, the invitation is the same. We we, got to see Jesus. And and you know how it happens? It doesn't matter whether you you haven't met Jesus yet or, or you've known him for a long time. You need the reversal of the road to Emmaus in your life. See, we all need that reversal on the road with Jesus. We need him to not be the guest. We need him to be the host. We need him to not be a stranger. We need him to be the teacher. How does the story go? Jesus is not a bystander on the side. Jesus is the main character. You know, this isn't just another sermon that I got to give you and, and tell you more. This is every sermon. You know, if, if I'm to come and, and be your pastor, if this is God's will, what this means is that together, every week, we're going to open God's word and we're going to say, how do we get to Jesus? How does this show us Jesus? How does God's story in Jesus remind us of the way the story is supposed to go? Because you know what? Life is always going to be unpredictable. 
there are always going to be times in your life that you're going to say, man, I didn't see that coming. Is, is that really the way the story is supposed to go? That unbelief is always going to be lurking on the horizon. The shadow is always going to be around the corner. But Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope that his word can, can fuel the fire of our faith and unbelief can be melted and despair can become a radiance of hope because in his word, we meet Jesus. So I want to urge you this morning, don't be foolish. Don't be slow in your heart to believe. It really is all about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just lay our lives before you. I, I, I'm sure in this room this morning that there are people that are right in the middle of it, scratching their heads, saying, what happened? Is this the way it's supposed to go? I pray that, that your word for them would be a light that shines on the face of Christ, that they see Jesus and his work on their behalf. Father, I pray that we would encourage one another, that we would re- be faithful to remind one another that it really is all about Jesus. I pray that, that we would remind each other that Jesus is the main character. This is the way the story is supposed to go. In Jesus' name, amen.